I think as parents, there's almost nothing that is worse than watching our kids struggle. You may think that I'm wrong and maybe I am wrong, but for myself personally, watching my kids struggle is, it's painful. It's really, really painful. It hurts my heart and it's so hard for me to not want to just like jump in and fix everything that my kids are struggling with. It really is. So on today's episode of the Genuine Mom Club podcast, we have a guest. Her name is Dr. Janine Jeannot, and she is coming from Georgia to tell us a little bit about how we can help our kids when they're spiraling, how we can help our kids when they're frustrated and closed off, and how we can help them to not turn into what she calls a disintegrating student. So thank you so much, Dr. Janine Janot, for being on the Genuine Mom Club podcast today. I am so appreciative of you for taking this time to talk to us and help us with these big parental tasks that we have to take on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk about everything. Yeah, all of the things that I sent you. There was a lot. I was like trying to (laughs) narrow it down, but I'm like, oh my goodness. I want to like just ask her everything because she's so amazing. So, Oh, very sweet. Yeah. All right. So before we jump into all of the questions, uh, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, kind of what you're what you do? So I am a mom of three and my youngest uh, is 18, just went off to college a couple weeks ago. Um, and my oldest is 25. And what I do actually has to do with them because about 10 years ago, my youngest was in elementary school. My daughter, my middle child was in middle school. And then I had my oldest in high school and I started teaching college. So there was this period of time where I had this incredible bird's eye view Mm. of education and our kids you know, from those early elementary ages, all the way through, you know, what I was seeing the end product, these kids coming into college, and it was not a good picture at all. I saw so much anxiety. Um, I saw these college students coming in overwhelmed, underprepared, not remembering the stuff they learned in high school. So a lot of concerning things. And so that led me to um, open or start the balanced student, which is an academics like student and parent coaching business. So I was trying to coach students, trying to help them um, figure out what was going on, what skills and strategies they needed. And out of that came um, the book that I, that was just published, The Disintegrating Student, where I try to put the pieces of the puzzle together of that overview that I saw what is happening to our kids. Yeah. So that's kind of my story. That's because it's one of those like, people, why did you write this book? It's like, um, I don't know. I mean, I just needed to, I never meant to write a book. It just yeah. was stuff that had to be said. Yeah. Yeah. And the book looks fascinating. I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it is on my list of things I'm definitely going to be reading. And I'm going to put it in the show notes also for our listeners, because I think it's just such an amazing tool for everyone to be able to read and to kind of get that understanding of what you're talking about with the disintegrating students. So all of that information is going to be in the show notes for our listeners to, to see. So in your line of work, what would you say is the number one issue that parents are facing when it comes to raising children? So what I typically hear from parents whose kids are in that middle school to high school range, um, 
because they're very frustrated yeah. with their kids because their kids are showing they're, they're acting like they don't care about school. Their motivation is slipping They're Typically these are good students, like, you know, high achieving kids who all of a sudden their grades start slipping and the parents um, are very well-intentioned in trying to help them, right. but they don't know what to do because everything they're trying is not working. So that's what I hear the most from parents is what is wrong with my kid? How can I, they need, they need time management. They need this. They need that. They just won't do it. Um, And and there's a lot of uh, confusion there. I think with parents that they think that it's in their child's control. And when you understand a disintegrating student, you come to understand a lot of it really isn't in their control. And we really have to kind of dig a little bit deeper yeah. Instead of just try to superficially put band-aids on things and make everything like it was before. Right. Now, I know this wasn't a part of the questions, but I'm just curious to know, what's your definition of like a disintegrating student? So I, I, it's a, a term I coined when I started working with those students in my coaching. Yeah. And they were these really, I didn't expect to see them. They were these mm-hmm. really high achieving kids, super bright. A lot, oftentimes they were identified gifted, you know, early on in oh, wow. um, their education. And they're the kind of kid who, you know, elementary, even middle school would just basically show up, learn the stuff, get their homework done in class or on the bus, you know, get good grades without studying or putting much effort in. Okay. And what happens to these kids is at some point they hit a rigor tipping point, mm. um, which refers to a time where the the academic challenge gets to a place where they can no longer just compensate by being really bright. Like it's enough. So I see that happening late middle school into high school, sometimes into college or grad school, but oftentimes it's, you know, because our rigor keeps ticking downward. You know, there's a lot of middle schoolers, at least where I live, who are taking um, high school level classes, coursework. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm seeing them hit. Yeah. So I mean, (laughs) So you got an, I see a lot of ninth graders hit this rigor tipping point around here because many of them are taking 10th and 11th grade work when they enter high school and it's just too much. And they don't, these kids don't have skills. Hmm. So they've been relying on just being smart. And at some wow. point you do have to understand how to study effectively. You do have to have some sort of time management. Um, and so that's where, that's where the disintegrating student comes from. I, I didn't even think of that. Like, cause you think of those students that are like, they, they get like ahead so quick and then it's kind of like, well, what happens to them when they hit a certain point? It's like, well, what happens to them? Right. And not all students disintegrate who are really bright, but yeah. it's, ha- it's, it's happening more and more frequently because of, um, the achievement culture that we live in. It's yeah. very high pressure, high stakes, and our kids aren't they really aren't in a system that values learning. So it's more of a check the box, get the work done, do what you need to do. And they can do that very effectively until like, again, the rigor gets to be too much. And then they don't have the skills to actually learn the material. So then cheating becomes an issue. Um, All sorts of other things start to, to play a role. Um, And it's, it's, it's not a good way to go through childhood. No, I think school, school should be fun, particularly up until at least high school. You should, for sure. You should be enjoying yourself. Yeah. Learning should be fun. It should be. It should be. Yeah. And I, I hate that we make learning not fun. 
Mm-hmm. Like we just, we make it so like, well, you've got to accomplish this and you've got to get your A's and you've got to get your, you know, really good academics and all of that stuff. And it, and we, we miss out on the fact that like learning should be fun. It should be enjoyable. Yeah. It's very data driven now. So the value of like curiosity and learning and, you know, resilience, all that stuff that, you know, we want to be part of our educational system has really gone away and it's been taken over by, like you said, you know, the grade, the SAT, ACT yeah. score, you know, the data points. Yeah. And that's what our kids are checking the box for. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, interestingly enough, I went to a uh, high school in New York. I went to a boarding school. And um, so being from Canada, the SAT and ACT wasn't like an important thing for me because that's mm-hmm. not a thing up here. But I remember there was just such a uh, thing around it for everybody. It right. was like, we, you've got to do really good. If you don't do really good, then, Oh, like you're not going to get into college. And it was just this huge stressor. And being from Canada I was like, well, I don't need to do good on it anyway. Cause I'm going <laughs> back to Canada. But, um, <laughs> I just, I remember like it was such a stressor for so many mm-hmm. students. And I ended up like getting locked into the stress somehow just because everybody else was. And like right. that, that's not enjoyable. Like being stressed about like a big test and this might des- decide your fate. Like that's so unfortunate. Right. And it's, um, and it, it's, it's because you got sucked in because you were in the culture. Right. And, yeah. And that's, you don't even notice it. And even if you, you want to push against it, it's very hard to do. So we're in a really kind of difficult position as parents in particular, if we're trying to push back against what the achievement culture is telling us we need to value as success. Right. It feels very lonely to do that. Oh yeah. It, it definitely does. I think a lot of homeschool parents feel that way. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely uh, kind of where I'm at right now, but mm-hmm. um, okay. So getting back to our questions, sorry, I kind of sidetracked there. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, so for what, can't even talk right now. What role can parents play in helping their children when they can see them starting to spiral down, like in any area of their lives, like whether that be with their education or like their social skills, especially with the pandemic, like social issues are big right now, but like, but any, in any area, like if a parent is noticing that their child is really starting to spiral, how can they help them? So I think the very first thing, cause it's the thing I always say to parents is um, we are so well-intentioned in everything we do. We do it because we love our kids. We're so concerned about them. We want them to be successful. So um, a lot of the things that we do though, with that good intention of helping our child sometimes has some unintended negative consequences. So the first thing I would tell parents is to meet their children where they actually are. Mm. and not where they, not where you want them to be or where you oh. think they should be. So good. that's, that's kind of huge because <laughs> if you're trying to meet them in one of those two other places, it's not going to end well, right. and you're not going to be helpful to them. And it's going to cause, um, it's going to cause the relationship to degrade, which we don't want that. And I see that so often, particularly by the time the kids become teens and tweens, where, you know, they're just at odds so often. And, you know, that's heartbreaking for families, Um, but it's really, really common. So I say, meet them where they actually are. And then listen to what our children are telling us. Okay. As parents were again, well-intentioned, we're problem solvers. And I have my youngest one's one who will come to me spiraling and, you know, 
I get right in there and say, well, did you do this? Did you think about that? I have all this like problem solving advice and it seems super simple to me and it makes her so mad. Oh, wow. So mad because she doesn't, that's not why she's telling me. That's not why she's spiraling at me. She is, she needs a safe place to tell me how she feels and I'm supposed to listen and reflect back that I understand what she's saying. So listening with empathy, which is really hard to zip it. So hard. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) And the older your kids get, the harder it is because, you know, we've got, you know, I've got a 50 something year old brain. So I've got all this way of looking at things that, you know, my 18 year old's brain is not, you know, I have to go into my 18 year old brain and go, okay, I get why this is a thing. Yeah. And so we have to take deep breaths as parents and be that warm, supportive um, presence for our kids, because that is the most protective thing, right? which I think surprises people though. Sometimes it's like, if you're showing up, loving your kid and unconditionally supporting them and being that safe space that protects them from so much adversity. I mean, it doesn't make it so that their life is, you know, frustration free or, tragedy free. I mean, we can't protect our kids from everything, but we can help them be resilient in the face of adversity. And that's how we do that. By listening, by listening and by showing up as a warm, supportive person and valuing that connection with our child over their academics. For sure. Yeah. Which, which is tricky. It's so tricky. Yeah, of course. Because what students will tell me a lot of times is um, they think their parents care more about their grades than they do them, which of course is never true. Oh, that's so hard. But if you think about it, I kept thinking, why do I keep hearing this from kids? And then I thought, oh, because all we talk about with our children, first thing they walk in the door, how'd you do on that test? Did you turn the thing in? Did you talk to the whatever? It, It, our, talk with them, our communication with them, our attention that we give them is predominantly around academics and their achievement and quote unquote, are they being successful? And so if that's what a kid is experiencing, I can kind of see why they think we care more about that than we do them. That does make a lot of sense. It really does. It does. It's, it's sad, but it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. But that goes back to communication where, you know, if parents can um, sit with their child and say, this is coming from a place of fear and anxiety in me because I'm worried about you. And I worried about the consequences if you don't maintain this grade or if you don't get this application in or whatever it is. And then a, a child can understand, oh, okay, I get that. But when you when you come at me like that with your anxiety, you're basically offloading it on me mm-hmm. and you're making it even less likely that I'm going to do the thing that you're so worried I'm not going to do. For sure. So listen is listen. like the most important thing. Be there for them. Be like a firm you know, foundation for them. Should you at any point try to fix their problems or like kind of give them direction as to how to fix their problems or just let them figure it out? I would approach that as you would like teaching a kid to drive a car or Ah, use tech. So you don't just want to throw them out there. Um, You know, like, okay, you're eight years old now, solve your problems. (laughs) Go. (laughs) That doesn't seem like a great idea. Like you don't know how to tie your shoes, but. (laughs) But you got this. Um, But by the time, you know, and every kid's different. So you have to know your child. But if a kid's Mm -hmm. trying to take control, I think that's an awesome sign. And we should 
be allowing them to take as much control as they're comfortable with. And certainly by middle school, we want to be kind of the scaffolding Mm. so that, you know, if a situation comes up, having them handle it with the teacher and maybe us in the background, coaching them through what that looks like. Oh, you want to send an email instead of talk to a teacher. Okay. So let's, let's do that together. You write it, let me see it. And let me give you some feedback and send it off. And then you've kind of got the kids back while they're learning to do this stuff. And certainly um, I, I, most like eighth, ninth, 10th graders, 11th graders, 12th graders, they want to be solving their own problems. And the problem is if we help too much and if we're helping when they're not asking us to, and they don't need us to, what we're communicating to them then is you can't handle it. I'm going to have to do this. And that's a, you know, that's not helpful. And then motivation goes down because one of the key ingredients for any of us to feel motivated is to feel like we're in control Mm. and to feel confident. I mean, those are the first two things you need. That makes total sense. And it's so hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. (laughs) I, I live and breathe this stuff and I struggle with it on a daily basis. I mean, my daughter, you know, right now we're sort of empty nesters. So I get a break from like going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this today. So it's a little better for me now, but I still, you know, my daughter still has to say, no, I just want you to listen. She has to tell me. Um, Yeah, it's hard. Oh, my oldest is 10 now and she's turning 11 in January and she's getting into that. Like, I want to just figure it out on my own. And I'm just so not prepared (laughs) for it. I'm just like, okay. Like I have to let her and it's, Oh, it's hard. It's so hard. But what I tell you, having been through many, many years of that feeling is all the things that I worried about, like the worst case scenarios, if I didn't do it, yeah, they never came true. You know, once I, once I did step back, it was really hard, but it was amazing how much my kids actually stepped up and did what they were supposed to do when they actually understood it was on them. When we're there kind of always doing it for them, why would they show us that they can handle it? That makes like complete sense. Kind of giving them the reins a little so they can learn how to like, I mean, it would be like if, if you were teaching your kid to drive and you had a steering wheel and brakes on your side of the car, you'd be like Mm -hmm. pushing the brakes constantly and not letting them figure it out. And they never learn. It's hard, but Yeah something. And it feels, it feels that stressful. Now yours are too young to know that feeling, but there's a feeling of sitting in the car with your kid with no steering wheel and brake, just hoping for the best, but that's kind of what it feels like. (laughs) And we don't, you know, you're to your point, we don't want to wait too long to give them this opportunity to start practicing because what I see are these kids who don't get that opportunity until they go to college. Mm. And that can be, um, that can be kind of disastrous for these kids. Yeah. Yeah. I could see how that would be really bad and scary actually. Cause you, you, you want to give them a little practice, right? Like when they're still in your home, mm-hmm. so that that's pretty intense. So, okay. So children are obviously really good at hiding their feelings. Unfortunately, yeah. I think all of us can be, but it's hard when your kids do. <laughs> and often like our kids, when they're holding in, you know, their feelings, it can come out like as anger, like as outbursts, which I don't need to tell you this because you already know. Um, so how can we, how can we help our children like improve their communication with us so that like they don't get into that spiraling? So we can, one of the things we can do, especially as our kids get older, it, it's really helpful to explain this to them. It's called the 90 second rule. Um, but just as an adult, 
interacting with kids, it's really good to know that this, this thing about our brain. So when we get angry yeah, or very emotional of any nature, but let's talk about a kid getting really frustrated or really angry and upset. Mm-hmm. What happens is that basically there's a part of the brain that the emotional part of the brain gets all jacked up. A bunch of chemicals are released into the brain. It's like taking a snow globe and shaking it up. Okay. And okay. so once that happens, um, the thinking brain pretty much goes offline. So it's all straight emotion. So they're saying things maybe they wouldn't normally say, maybe they're crying, maybe they're kicking, you know, all kinds of stuff, but their thinking brain's really not in charge here. And it takes about 90 seconds for the, you know, the snow in the snow globe or the chemicals in the brain to settle back down again so that the thinking brain can engage again. Yeah. And if you want to talk to a child, your brain has to be, your thinking brain has to be able to be engaged and so does theirs. So that means, A, we don't react. We don't get involved in the back and forth with them when they're upset. Right. So, and again, I say when they're older to explain this to them, because you might have to say something like, I can see you're upset right now. When you feel a little bit more in control, let's talk about this. So you're basically giving them the heads up. We can't talk when your brain's in that state and I'm not going to take my brain and match your brain here. We're not right. going to do that because that's how yeah. big conflict happens. And people say things they regret and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I think it's really helpful to, um, again, you have to be kind of patient and listen. You okay. know, so if, if, if they're screaming at you, listen to what they say and then try very calmly to reflect back what you're hearing. It sounds like you're frustrated that you got left out at lunch today or whatever whatever you're hearing the child try to say. And then what you're trying to do is get them to be like, yes, that may be so bad. Yeah. You know, so that you're getting confirmation. Yes. You understand me. And that that's that connection. That's that listening with empathy. That's going to help a child feel more calm, mm-hmm. more safe, more understood. And that's probably the best thing we can do as parents. That's so special. Okay. So I'm getting like the listening hint. That's definitely like number one here on, on our listening's huge (laughs) priority list. Yeah. And it's definitely something that's very difficult, especially when you're a talker. (laughs) And and it's hard to give our kids attention in today's culture because there are so many things vying for our attention. So, you know, oftentimes our kids are talking to us and we're sort of maybe half listening you know, maybe we're doing an email or we're looking at social media or the TV's on or something. So it is a, it is a skill that we all can work on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one we all kind of need to work on for sure. I mean, I, I, I struggle with it, like working from home and like taking care of the kids and homeschooling and all of those things. It's like, wow, there's a lot of things going on in my brain. So (laughs) trying to find some time to just like process my own thoughts and then help my kids with theirs. It's a lot of work. That's for sure. It is. And we're not perfect at it and nor should we expect to be. So we have to be kind of easy on ourselves when it comes to that. Definitely. And I I find uh, letting other people know that you all like you also are just not a perfection, not not a perfectionist when it comes to these things is good because it gives people the grace to understand that like, we're not all perfect. Like we all kind of struggle sometimes and we all make mistakes as parents and that's okay. We move forward. We learn from our lesson. Like it's, it's about 
growing up. It's almost like growing up with your children in a, in a way. Absolutely. So how can we keep our kids from becoming a disintegrating student? Well, so I think what, what, what tends to happen is the first sign is the grades go down and, you know, parents get concerned. They go to their kid and say, what's going on? And the kid says, I don't know. Mm. And the parents get frustrated because it's like, what do you mean you don't know? But the truth is the kids usually don't know what's going on um, because they were really smart. And all of a sudden they're getting this feedback that maybe I'm not so smart anymore. And what's happening is the, um, there's a great book called mindset by Carol Dweck. And this book is all about the fixed and growth mindset, which is um, how a mindset is just how we think about something sort of a default way of thinking about something. Um, So when we talk about a fixed and growth mindset, we're talking about how we think about our intelligence and our ability. Yeah. So if you have a more fixed mindset, you tend to think that you're born as smart as you're ever going to get. You tend not to, when you start to get feedback that you're not awesome at something, or this is going to be a challenge and difficult, you tend to back away from that because you don't want that because your, your self-esteem can be tied up in being a pretty smart kid. Mm. So if you're getting this feedback that maybe you're not as smart as you once were, you pull back from challenges that are going to show that, um, these, these smart kids with a fixed mindset, they don't like to put effort in. They don't like to ask for help because that's what, what the not smart kids always did. I never had to do that. I never had to work at it. That's what I saw the the kids who weren't so smart doing. So it's embarrassing to them. Um, and they don't like feedback. They don't mean asking for help is embarrassing. So those are the signs that parents should look for. Okay. Um, if they see their kid exhibiting those kinds of things, because again, this is um, a huge internal struggle for these kids who start to fall apart because they've always identified as being really bright yeah. and it scares them to death when they think, oh, it's over for me. So the growth mindset is what you're going for. Your growth mindset is the actual mindset that's based in reality when it comes to our intelligence. And that is it, it can grow. Right. Um, you know, challenges and mistakes are, are wonderful opportunities for learning and growth. And so mm-hmm. we want to make mistakes and we want to learn from them and do more. We want feedback and we want to put in effort. So all the things we want for our kids, that actually falls under that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's all on a continuum. So a kid could be somewhere, you know, anywhere from a real strong growth, fixed mindset to a really strong growth mindset, anywhere in between. And oftentimes they have a growth mindset around like an extracurricular. Mm. So they might have a huge fixed mindset around school, but, you know, around um, lacrosse or debate team or band or something, they have this wonderful growth mindset. So I I think it's really helpful for parents to be able to point that out to their kid. Like, well, how do you, how do you approach this thing that you love doing? And how is that different from how you approach school? Because you can change your mindset. So I almost always have to start there with students I see who are in this position. Um, and I think for parents just to have that on their radar, I think that's, that's the most significant early signs. If you can start to see them pulling away from putting in effort and, um, you know, challenges and just kind of self-protecting and self-handicapping around school. Wow. Okay. I'm taking all this information and processing it. It's very good. (laughs) 
All right. So how can we, you know, help our kids? How can we help them to find that good balance, like in, like between all of the different areas of their lives? So like that they don't become like disintegrating or, or, or spiraling out of control, like really fast, like how can we help them to kind of balance it, to kind of teach them how to balance it without kind of getting in their face and, you know, doing it for them and getting them mad and all of those things. Like, how can we kind of be, I would say like a silent teacher in a sense. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it's tricky because a lot of these um, high achieving kids are very perfectionistic as well. Mm. So they have extremely high standards, which cannot be met, which leads to a lot of procrastination. And there's all kinds of things that go um, along with that. But and again, they're in this achievement culture, and they have high achieving friend groups. And so there's a whole lot of stuff at play there. It's not as simple saying we need to have, you know, we need to have a balanced schedule. So it, I feel like what's most effective is to talk about them about what's, what are reasonable expectations? How are we going to define success in our family? And what is reasonable in the context that you find yourself? So if you're in remote schooling, if, you know, you're missing a lot of school because of, you know, COVID related things, whatever, whatever the actual situation is, what are the reasonable expectations that we want to adopt here? And then, you know, and that can take some work because a parent can think this is reasonable and the student thinks, oh no, yeah, this is, this is not reasonable. I have to do the other thing. Um, so, but I, I think that's where the conversation starts and then to actually be very concrete and say, okay, let's just map out a week of what your schedule would look like if you decide to do all these things. So you want to take four APs in high school and be in the band and, you know, mm-hmm. be the head of the beta club or whatever right. you know, yeah. club you want to do. Let's put that on a week schedule. Now show me where you're going to sleep. Show me where you're going to study. Show me where you're going to be with friends and really make that very explicit and concrete for our kids so they can see, you know, do I want to live through this week? What would that feel like? So we almost have to um, kind of connect them with their future self a little bit and have them walk through. Here's what this would probably look like. How do you think that would feel? Mm. Because their brains don't work that way yet. No, they don't. I mean, my brain still almost doesn't work like that. (laughs) Sometimes our future self is a bit of a stranger. (laughs) Yeah. And I uh, plan too much for her. And then when we get there, she's like, Hey, (laughs) she annoyed with you a little bit. Like, say so. (laughs) Excuse me. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good idea. Like kind of help them map it out and figure it out. That's a, that's an excellent idea. It's a lot. There's a lot to process. I'm, I'm like, at slowly approaching teen years, right? Like with my oldest and I'm like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> like we're, we're all, we're already getting to that age where I'm like, Oh no, like I gotta, gotta get as much advice as I possibly can here on these subjects. <laughs> we so, all need it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's for my listeners, but it's also for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, believe me, this always helps me process stuff too. It's like, Oh yeah, I should listen with empathy today. That's a good idea. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. It's funny how that works. Hey, like sometimes Mm -hmm. I'll put something like on social media and it's like reminding moms that, you know, like take a moment for yourself. And then it's like, I should probably take a moment for myself. Like I'm Uh telling, (laughs) I'm telling everybody else, like do this for yourself and like, 
you know, don't let other people treat you like this. And then I'm like doing completely opposite of what I'm saying. Uh, the best is when your kid comes back and quotes you from your book. So my, <laughs> my kids will do that sometimes. Be like, um, on page 17, you know, <laughs> they read your yeah. book. Oh yeah. I love but that. I think maybe for the purpose of throwing it back in my face they're, when I don't, when I don't take my you. own advice. I know. I know. <laughs> Smart kids. Oh man, man. Oh boy. Okay. Uh, so, so note to self, I will not write a book until my kids are past teen years. There you go. Then I'll write. <laughs> That's so good. Okay. So our final question for today, what would you like to say to the parent that's listening and is maybe struggling with, you know, parenting and perhaps they have a disintegrating student and they're feeling really overwhelmed with this whole parenting gig. What, what can you tell them today? So I hope that in listening to just our whole conversation that there's some parents listening going, oh man, it's not just me. Yeah, it's not just my kid. Yeah. Um, that they are not alone. I think so many families are in sort of a situation of struggling and trying to figure this out and not necessarily understanding. It's not just your family. It's, it's this bigger culture that's driving a lot of these issues. And so I, I hope that, you know, and, and in knowing that you're not alone, that can help people feel comfortable, like talking to a friend um, talking to other parents and working, you know, I think it's really important that we as parents have kind of sounding boards, um, that we have an outlet and we take care of ourselves yeah. because it can be a lot, particularly if we're in conflict with our kids, right. that is very, very draining. It can feel, um, it can feel embarrassing to talk to other families about that, but I guarantee you, if you do, yeah. and you're talking to people you trust, they are probably going to share, oh yeah, we have the same thing going on. So I, I, I really would, you know, take that self-care, prioritize yourself um, approach when things are going south within, within the family, because okay. you really have to fill your tank up first before you can, because um, yeah. something has to give, either your health is going to give, your mental health, your marriage, your job, you can't, you can't just keep giving, giving, giving and, and not do something for yourself. So I, I always called it being selfish and, um, because it felt weird to just be like, no, I won't do that for you because I actually have a life and schedule and things. Yeah. And, but when you do that in your family, I think you get um, a lot more respect and other pe people realize that they can do more and can step in. So I think, um, starting to try and play around with that in your family is really just helpful for primary care givers and families to be able yeah. to do that. Um, and I think prioritizing the relationships in your family, so your relationships with your children over that academic piece. So as kids get older and the stakes get higher, to always have good conversations and check-ins around how are we doing because I'm not willing to um, ruin our relationship over homework, Ooh, that's you know, funny. and, and yeah. that's, that's a explicit conversation. That's not just, it just doesn't happen that way. The relationships get ruined over homework. 
And if you don't want that to happen, then it has to be talking to your kid about that. How do we make this not be a thing that gets between us? Okay. That's really good. And uh, bonus tip is uh, purchase the disintegrating student. Well, there's a lot of stuff in there. I mean, it's, it's an explanation of how we got here. It does talk Mm. about achievement culture, but it's all about what's going on in our kid's head. And then what we as parents, what we are doing well-intentioned and the consequences and basically how to build that trusting relationship with our kids. And there's a whole chapter on um, kind of the coaching work I do with students. I have 77 tips, you know, in areas of time management, sleep, screen, stress, organization. So very practical strategies to use with yourself and for students to use. That's amazing. Where's the best place to purchase it? Any place you buy books. Um, and there's awesome. audiobook available too, ebook and paperback. That's and awesome. Yeah. So, uh, if, so if you go to my website, which is janinejano.com, all my social media links are there. The book information's there. My coaching awesome. information's there. Yeah. All right. So janinejano.com. That's where they Janine, you know, yep. That is so, <laughs> Sounds like a so, song. <laughs> it's so smooth. It just runs along so perfectly. I love it. Janinejanot.com. That's so good. Yeah. And I will also put um, a link into the show notes for your website and we will, I'll also look up your book and put it in there too, um, just so that people can find it easier. And I am going to go and order mine from my local bookstore when I've done this phone call. Yeah. Cause I am very intrigued by this conversation. And like, even if, you know, somebody's listening and their kids are like younger, it's like, well, this doesn't, maybe doesn't apply to me, but it will. (laughs) It will. And it's, it's sort of the, here's what's coming achievement call. Here's what's coming your kid's way in the achievement culture. So if you can be one step ahead of it and again, notice, like you asked the great question, what can you do to prevent this, you know, if you start to see those signs of struggle, you actually can do a lot. Yes. Yeah. It's so true. All right. Well, this has been amazing. I have really enjoyed talking to you. I loved getting your feedback on these questions and I'm super excited to read your book. Um, I just want to thank you so much, Dr. Jano, for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it immensely. Me too. It was such a good conversation. I love it. It just like filled my cup up for the day. So I'm, I'm oh, good. To, yay. <laughs> I'm good to go now until one of my kids yells at me or something. And then I won't be <laughs> Nin- 90 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take a breath. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again. And uh, yeah, we will connect with you again soon. Wonderful.